Radio Free Hyboria, episode 3. I'm Herman the Hyborian, here with my buddy Billy the Barbarian. Billy, how are you doing today, man? <laughs> I thought you were going to call me Brule. <laughs> <laughs> Billy the Brule, Brulish Barbarian picked. Mm, hey, they picks are tough. I like them. Dude, picks are great. I mean, did mm-hmm. you ever read the bra- the character Robert E. Howard created, who's solely a pick- Pictish king, Bran McMorn? You know about I have him? read a couple of those stories, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that is, mm-hmm. is an amazing character. Yeah, uh, Robert E. Howard's got some respect for the pigs, even though he was a racist. <laughs> you know, and the pigs are technically, you know, not considered uh, entirely white, <laughs> according to Robert E. Howard, at least. Yeah. You know, but um, he had a respect for them, for their hardy constitutions. Any savage, you know, mm-hmm. he liked any kind of savage. Yeah. Yeah, Kazar mm-hmm. probably would have been one of his favorite characters. No, for sure. Yeah, he loved jungle characters. Oh man, speaking about Kazar, dude. Yeah, of course. Yeah, all of his. He was a big Edgar Rice Burroughs reader too. You know, Robert mm-hmm. Howard. Hey, speaking about Kazar, there's a Kazar omnibus out. You know, um, apparently, I just saw it the other day. It just popped up on my somehow on my Amazon, you know, uh, feed or some somewhere. I saw it and then I clicked on it, and now it's popping up everywhere because I clicked on it. <laughs> I didn't add it to my cart or anything, but. <laughs> Man, that omnibus looks great. It's got like, um, you know, the KZR series from the 80s, all mm-hmm. collected. There's like 30 plus issues. Uh, I love KZR. I don't know. Were you a big KZR guy, Billy? Um, I like the uh, black and white magazine appearances, mm. the Savage Tales stuff. Uh, the comic, the color comic, you know, in the 80s, that was okay. It depended on who the uh, creative team was. Some of them I thought were pretty good, and other ones kind of fell flat for me. Yeah. The funny thing about Kazar is he's actually, obviously, he's a Tarzan knockoff, a pastiche of Tarzan, or a knockoff, I should say, it's a better word. But um, mm-hmm. he um, was from the golden age, you know, of timely comics, yeah. and way back when. So he's right there with Cap and the Torch and the Submariner and mm-hmm. uh, the original Vision. And, of course, he wasn't part of the team. He was completely off on his own in the Savage Land. But, you know, um, uh, that's he's one of Marvel's legacy characters. So, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and I, I love old Kevin Plunder. I might consider picking that up. Um, but I do have all the old KZR comics here somewhere. They're just very in, in a terrible state. So, the <laughs> Omnibus would probably be the way to go. And Shanna, Billy Shanna, the she devil man, mm-hmm. a very, mm-hmm. very, uh, you know, alluring, hot redhead. Uh, I've always mm-hmm. been a fan of her. So, uh, just an aside there for you listeners, it's it's tangentially related to Conan, I guess, <laughs> and Robert E. Howard. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> but Billy, this time around, we're going to be talking Conan the Barbarian 3, and uh, mm-hmm. specifically Call the Conqueror 3, but we're also going to include a, a short break in between Conan and Call, where we're going to be talking about a Call comic, a Call story that appeared in Monsters on the Prowl. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, that's also done by the creative team of Marie and John Severin. But it's a, a little bit of an important story because it sort of uh, tells you more about what's going to happen in Call 3. Um, and this time around, we're meeting Call's Big Bad, uh, who's also Conan's Big Bad in the movie universe. <laughs> and who is that, Billy? <laughs> that is Thulsa Doom. Yes, Thulsa Doom. Evil, ancient undead if you want to look at it that way sorcerer with a skull face 
And then, of course, famously, uh, almost, can I say, immortalized. Uh, well, the name was immortalized, and the villain was immortalized in the Conan the Barbarian, John Milius movie by James Earl Jones. Um, mm-hmm. And he has faced Conan in the comics, too, you know? In, yeah. You know, but he's primarily a cull villain because in the Robert E. Howard story, Del, uh, which is a, a cull story, King Cull story, Delcardis's cat, that's the name of that short story, he he was first introduced, you know. So he's t- technically, uh, uh, originally, I should say, a King Cole villain. So, but yeah, he, yeah. Not, we we love that kind of guy. Those kind of guys, mm-hmm. ancient undead sorcerers. You know, uh, Tothamon in the Marvel comics, uh, at least in the King Conan series, Tothamon appeared more frequently, and he appeared a lot in the Savage Sword of Conan. Um, you know, magazine, but um, not really directly as a foe of Conan. He would more, you know, uh, be in the background and scheming, you know. But Thulsa Doom is a more upfront villain. He takes the fight directly to King Cole and Conan. Mm-hmm. You know, but but I should amend that in the King Conan series, Tothamon was more, you know, a direct antagonist, confronting Conan left and right, King Conan. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. But if you think about it, in the Robert E. Howard stories, Tothamon only showed up once, and then he was mentioned a couple of other times in future stories. But he showed up in the very first Conan tale, The Phoenix of, on the Sword. Um, mm-hmm. And that's it, you know. And then Conan even never even directly confronted him. <laughs> you know, he just calls up <laughs> yeah. this giant monstrous demon ape <laughs> to kill all the conspirators and then also indirectly try to kill Conan. And then Conan kills the ape, but Tothamon disappears. We never hear from him again, except, like I say, mentioned in later, uh, uh, you know, stories. So um, interesting antagonists that these Hyborian and Volusian and pre-Atlantean age heroes have, right, Billy? These sorcerers. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) So, Billy, we're going to go straight towards Conan the Barbarian. I'm just going to give a little bit of uh, background first here. Uh, Of course, this time around, Conan... He's fresh off of his adventure in Hyperborea with the beast men who captured him and he escaped. And then um, he was, uh, you know, a slave there for a while. Now, Conan abhors slavery. He's a wild Sumerian youth. He does not like to be chained. But between issue two and three, it happened again. He was captured by the Hyperboreans and, and then <laughs> chained and then whipped, <laughs> lashed. <laughs> By this blonde Hyperborean uh, savage who he's sworn to kill. Conan has sworn to kill him mm-hmm. for that lashing. And Conan has since escaped. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's heading into the wilds and he's on the border between Hyperborea and Brythunia. And uh, that's where we're at at the moment. So, Billy, we'll, we'll start off with our, with our synopses. Uh, you can go first, our Twitter-style synopses. What is yours for Conan the Barbarian number three? Okay. So, the grim gray god, Conan and two rival kings, must reconcile the day, and there's a double cross, and then perhaps even a triple cross at hand. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's that's true, man. That's right on point there. Nice Mm -hmm. one. Okay, Mm -hmm. uh, mine is as follows. After smack-talking a god, Conan joins up with a Brythunian horde, to get revenge for a whipping at the hands of a blonde Hyperborean ragamuffin. Thanks to an idiotic vow, he enters battle with a gigantic chain shackled to his wrist 
and lays waste to an entire regiment. The end. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. <laughs> now, Billy, again, this is where our Twitter synopses really, really shine because you you focused more on the the, the important events like the betrayals, the death of kings. I just focused on mm -hmm. these funny little weird asides like Conan literally makes he's, makes the worst decisions, but he, he comes through at the end because of this insane amount of confidence in his own physical abilities, right? He, he he's mm -hmm. manacled and he swears that he won't take off the chain. Well, he would let a blacksmith <laughs> saw off one part of it, but he's still <laughs> going to use it as a weapon until he can meet and kill this guy who whipped him on the battlefield. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. it's crazy. So um, yeah, and I love you know Roy Thomas again, man. His dialogue is great for Conan. He was the perfect guy to write Conan right on the very first splash page. Crumbs, devils, who's that? If it's some Hyperborean dog, come to skewer me before I can break my chains. I'll. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, it's great. It's great. I love the insults. You know, there's a lot of dog thrown around. You know, everybody's mm -hmm. a dog. Shame, mm. poor dogs. I mean, man's best friend get denigrated at every turn here. But um, you know, back then maybe the dogs were just fresh off of you know wolves that became tame, and they became these mangy little curs sneaking around fires looking for scraps. So maybe they weren't very held in mm -hmm. high esteem. But um, <laughs> you know what? What was funny to me here, Billy, is that uh, yeah, actually, this issue just to to give a little bit of. Um, trivia here this issue was supposed to be uh much later on in the run there was supposed to be uh conan the barbarian number five the story zukala's daughter was supposed to be uh the third issue of conan the barbarian uh but then you know and roy got it already you know penciled by barry windsor smith who was living in mm -hmm. england at the time he had returned to england because he had visa trouble in the states if you might remember mm -hmm. So yeah. he was sending everything over from, from the UK. And then, um, you know, after Roy decided, no, Zucala's daughter's not quite in the timeline that he had devised for Conan, uh, he had already sent the script of uh, Conan the Barbarian issue 5, which is uh, the famous Tower of the Elephant story, right? Uh, which mm, was the first yeah. straight adaptation of the Howard uh, tales. He had already sent that to Barry and had received that in uh, as well. So, you know, now he had to make a decision. Was he going to use Zucala's daughter or was he going to use Tower of the Elephant? But then he decided on this little tale because he thought he should show the transition between Conan heading down towards warmer climes. You know, he should put a tale in there where he, he exited the the northern wastes of, let's say, Sumeria, Asgard, Hyperborea. And then he entered the warmer, you know, uh, western lands or the southern lands. But it's not completely south yet. It's still in the, you know, from the north into the south, but but entering the westernmost lands. So, mm -hmm. Brythunia, you know, the country that Conan enters this time around, warmer than the Hyperborean uh, waste that, you know, Conan was in. And uh, now we see this little border skirmish between Hyperborea and Barthunia that Conan gets involved in. And uh, Roy mm -hmm. was inspired to do this little story by the Robert E. Howard stuff, particularly a poem, you know, uh, which Robert E. Howard wrote about the grim gray god, but also a story, you know, that, Ray, uh, that uh, Robert E. Howard wrote, which was the, called The Twilight of the 
Grey God, not the Grim Grey God. That's that's all Roy there, but the Twilight of the Grey God. And um, but this story by Robert E. Howard was actually rejected by Weird Tales. <laughs> you know, so um, uh, I think that was in 1932 or something. So eventually, it saw publication, I believe, when Arkham House released most of the Howard stuff. You know, but then then it was called yeah. the Grey God Passes. I think that anthology was Dark Mind, Dark Heart, maybe, um, po- possibly. Um, edited by August Derleth, right? But, um, mm-hmm. you know, Roy, around the spring of 1970, uh, this is directly from Roy himself in an interview, he said that uh, he got a hold of most of the Howard stuff and then they reached a separate deal with Glenn Lord, Howard's uh, agent, or at least the, the representative of the Robert E. Howard, um, uh, you know, uh, um, material. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and then the, the separate deal entailed them being able to actually um, adapt Robert E. Howard's stories, not just use the characters, because before they could only use the characters. That's why Roy came up with lots of original tales. And this was not because Roy was lazy. He says it's it's easier to write a new story than to adapt it. Actually, you know, if you if you want to do a good job, ad- adaptation is actually more difficult sometimes. But he yeah. decided on paying homage to a Robert E. Howard tale, which wasn't actually a Conan tale. Uh, it featured a guy called Con, <laughs> which is similar. <laughs> Con with a double N at the end. Similar to Conan there. And uh, he, it's actually set in the 11th century uh, in Ireland. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, but, but the character also, before entering battle, he has a bit of a back and forth with a god. A grey god. So the god of death, the god of battles, god of the battlefield. It could also be an analog of Odin, you know, um, who, who, who mm-hmm. uh, you know, oversees the battlefields of the slain and so forth. And we even see some Valkyrie-style girls in this issue, right, Billy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, really cool scenes. Who doesn't love a good Valkyrie <laughs> showing up <laughs> just as you're dying? You see this beautiful maiden, you know, soothing you and taking you off to the land of the dead. So, you know, and then the only other bits of info I have about this is Sal Buscema, again, on inks. Um, mm-hmm. It does a great job, but, you know, you, you see it's mostly Barry Windsor Smith. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he, he also inked number two, of course, Sal, uh, the Conan mm-hmm. the Barbarian number two. And then, um, you know, Maurice Severin actually did a sketch for the cover of three before sending it off to Barry in England to complete the cover. You know, so the idea of mm-hmm. the cover came from Marie. Uh, mm-hmm. Because Barry was obviously uh, very busy, you know, um, mm-hmm. doing lots of, uh, you know, interiors and so forth. But he also did the cover. So they helped him out there, Roy did, with getting Marie to, to draft a bit of a cover for him. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, he, he decided to insert this issue as number three instead of going for Zukala's daughter or the Tower of the Elephant, just to show Conan heading southwards. So a little bit of interesting aside there for where Roy got the inspiration for the story. Uh, some of the characters are Robert E. Howard characters, like Cormlada, right? The the sultry seductress who's, <laughs> who's uh, you know, uh, leading the Berthunian captain astray with her feminine wiles, right, Billy? Mm-hmm. But basically Roy, you know, went his own way after, you know, uh, just getting the uh, rough inspiration from the Howard tale and the Howard poem based on this uh, this concept of the Grey God. So, believe just to give a few more specs about the comic itself, of course, Conan the Barbarian 3, uh, first published in February uh, 1971, 
And then, um, oh, it was actually on sale, sorry, in November uh, of 1970 and cover dated February 1971. Uh, covered mm-hmm. by Barry Windsor Smith, like we mentioned, 20 pages. Roy Thomas Ryder, penciler, Barry Smith, again, the on the interior, Sal Buscema inking with Sam Rose and lettering. And this can be found, of course, in all the new re- reprinted Conan material in Marvel. The Conan Omnibus, number one from Marvel. And then, of course, the epic collection, which you have, right, Billy? Featuring the mm-hmm. first few tales of Conan. It can also be found mm-hmm. in the Dark Horse reprints, of course, Co- Chronicles of Conan, number one. And then it was reprinted in giant-sized Conan, uh, 1974. It was reprinted in Conan Saga, number one, Conan Classics, number three, and the Essential Conan Volume 1 trade paperback, which is very rare. Marvel actually still had the rights to Conan when they started printing the Essentials, Billy. So there is an Essential Conan in black and white out there. But right after that, Dark Horse acquired the rights. So Marvel could never give us a second or a third Essentials volume. But I actually Mm. have that old battered Essentials here. I'll I'll send you a pic of it. Maybe we'll post a pic (laughs) on... on, uh, on um, the Patreon <laughs> site, if you want. Oh, yeah. Of that, mm-hmm. you know, Sounds v- good. Very rare, very old, very battered, essential Conan. <laughs> <laughs> so, Billy, now, what do you think about uh, when we get into the plot and the interior? Speak on that a little. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever wish you could sip cocktails and discuss great books with your friends while hanging out in a rundown piano bar? Here on the Literary Guys podcast, that's what we do. I'm Dr. Gordon McCallan. And I'm author Zachary Kellyan. Each month, we discuss books from two different views of modern masculinity. From both a gay... And a straight perspective. From To Kill a Mockingbird... To future governors in the jungle trying to kill a predator. We welcome everyone to join our conversation on the good and toxic of what literature and pop culture have to say about masculinity. So pour yourself a drink and join us now for Season 3. Literary Guys. That's G-U-I-S-E. LiteraryGuys.com. I see what you did there. Yeah, I mean, I like it quite a bit. I like this, how, you know, Roy Thomas, when he first started writing this, you know, Conan is very young, very brash. He's just, you know, he's uh, very headstrong. Later on, you know, you'll see him get a bit, you know, more, I don't know if I should say, I should say laid back, but he definitely gets a little more smarter and a little more, uh, well, yeah, I guess laid back is more like be. that. Yeah, 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 he does. He definitely does. You know, after he's you know traveled and fought and he was a pirate and all these different things, he gets a little more world experience. So he kind of like chills out a little bit and he's not as like. But I like this in the beginning when he's writing him and he's you know very headstrong and very like you know he said he's like all he can think about is I'll go to war with you because you're going to fight the people who had me chained up and this blonde guy that whipped me. And he goes off about that guy like three or four <laughs> times. And then he does end up actually meeting up with him on the battlefield, which is a pretty funny scene. Very fortuitous. Yeah, that's why I, I describe this as just a border skirmish. It wasn't a full-on war because if it was a full-on war, it would have been very difficult for Conan to, to zero in on this guy he wants revenge on. You know, he wants to get revenge on. But, you mm-hmm. know, it's interesting that, yeah, Conan's still sporting his horned helm, which Barry Windsor Smith loved to draw on him. Soon mm-hmm. soon that would go away. But I kind of, I like this little horned helm that Conan yeah. wore. And then, you know, we have the, you know, of course, Conan meeting up with uh, Grim Grey God in the beginning there. Very Odin-esque. You know, he, he even gives Conan a glimpse of his Valkyries flying in the sky. But Conan 
does not see this guy as a god after all he sort of very you know uh, rude <laughs> speaks to this guy as if he wants to start you know uh, engaging in battle and slitting his throat right mm -hmm. and um yeah this guy is very you know indignant he's upset that conan doesn't recognize him and, <laughs> and you're never quite sure when conan parts from him if he does know exactly what it was but when he glances back over his shoulder he sees this figure has become giant-sized and he mm -hmm. looks sad because actually billy now the story that it's adapted from the gray god passes is about the death of gods because you know robert e howard in that story was firmly in the camp of when the believers or the nation that that gave rise to this god perishes the god also perishes because no more believers and mm -hmm. that is that is what is kind of happening here in this story this is yeah. not just about you know the the passing of kings the the death of kings it's also about mm -hmm. and, and two kings in fact die in the story but it's also about the great mm -hmm. god's final battle and him you know then also just fading away into nothingness but yeah. you know just to give a little bit of uh, history for the the listeners here about these two countries we're in if you look at the conan map this is firmly still in the north the north part of the hyborian map which you can call up on you know on any browser anytime you want but mm -hmm. um, here we're going, you know, from Hyperborea into Brythunia. And just to give a little bit of a, um, you know, history here of these two countries. Hyperborea actually, right, Billy, was from ancient Greek legends. It was a mythical country to the north that the Greeks believed in. Um, mm -hmm. It didn't actually exist. So it was much like Atlantis, you know, that Plato espoused in his uh, stories. It, it was not a real place. It could have been probably based upon a real place. But, you know, obviously mm -hmm. it didn't actually exist as a physical place. So Hyperborea uh, separated from Asgard on the Hyborian map. And then um, also locked in perpetual winter, you know, so it's always cold there. And uh, Conan's yeah. now finally leaving the snow behind. So he's entering Brythunia. And then the Hyperboreans were a violent people. You know, they, they were want uh, to take slaves from from the southernmost countries they loved raiding mm -hmm. just like the sumerians did but the sumerians didn't normally take slaves you know the asgardians the sumerians that was not what they were raiding no. for they were just after no. booty physical mm -hmm. treasures but uh, the hyperboreans really loved slaves that's why conan is seen here in the beginning escaping as a slave yeah. and you know then if you know the hyperboreans were also feared by many because they were this warlike race but then the Bythunians, mm -hmm. on the other hand, they were more civilized. You know, the mm -hmm. Bythunians were um, into a cult. They had a culture based uh, in cities. Even though, you know, the Hyperboreans also had cities, their cities were more fortresses, walled, you know, military encampments. But the, uh, the Bythunians had a culture. And so they were considered weaker, you know, by the northern races. But they had the allies to to boost them you know to help them the Nemedia and aquilonia yeah. so um yeah they're basically if you th consider the hyperboreans more blonde you know nordic looking the brythunians mm -hmm. would be a little bit darker but still have blue eyes you know green eyes still a little bit uh, brown brownish blonde hair so as we get s more south to aquilonia you get like more dark haired people you know, mm -hmm. which is technically like France and Spain and those kind of countries. So, uh, mm -hmm. Robert E. Howard definitely based the Hyborian map off of, uh, you know, 
uh, off of the the map of Earth, you know, <laughs> ancient world, Eastern Eastern Europe, yeah, 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 Eastern Europe, a uh, little bit of Western Europe in there, and of course, like you say, Scandinavia, which mm -hmm. is places like Asgard and Hyperborea and Sumeria. So um, interesting, right? Just a little bit of an aside there for you guys, just to put you listeners firmly in the world of the Hyborian Age, where we are now on the border of Hyperborea and Brythunia. So Billy, then uh, the battle itself is great. We we get. Mm. A look at the machinations of, of Cormlada and the king Tomar, and then we <laughs> also meet this Dunlane, who's this guy who sort of he helps Conan out. He, he gives him a, a ride to the camp, doesn't he? This uh, Brythunian, mm -hmm. uh, well, who is he? A Brythunian commander, I would say. Yeah, like a captain or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we know the other guy is a captain. Who is he called? Uh, what's he called? Tomar. He is uh, in love with Cormlada, right? And she oh, yeah. is, uh, you know, uh, there on an, an espionage mission to... <laughs> um, well, King Tomar is actually the king of the Hyperboreans, I should say. Yeah, and, uh, he's the, the big wig. Malachi is the uh, Brythunian captain in love with T King Tomar's wife, who's seducing him in order to <laughs> betray his own uh, army, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> And then we've also got this Dunlane guy who's, uh, uh, Dunlang, sorry, I should say Dunlang. He's uh, helping Conan out. He's got a, a girl in the wings too. She's a, a prophetess, right? She can foresee the future. Uh, even, her name's Even. She warns him that he's going to meet yeah. his death on, yeah. <laughs> on the battlefield. But hey, she tries to stave it off by giving him a, a suit of enchanted mail, right? Enchanted golden armor. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. So, you know, uh, he another bad decision, not just by Conan, but also by this Dunlang guy. Just in the midst of battle, he throws <laughs> off the chainmail. Jeez. Yeah, okay. not smart. <laughs> so, we've got, a, yeah, we've got a lot of players here. You know, we've got the two ladies, Cormlada, the evil one, Seductress. We've got Even, the, the good girl, and uh, the prophetess. And then we've got King Tomar. And uh, and then we've got Tomar's you know wife Cormlada obviously trying to get the Brythunian captain Malachi to betray his legions and he's going to do that he he agrees to betray them mm -hmm. if he could have Cormlada's hand mm -hmm. um, and if they could kill King Tomar afterwards you know and yeah. then King Brian is the king of the Brythunians <laughs> you know he's yeah. not a very active king right he prefers to sit back in his tent and strategize while his soldiers are doing the fighting for him right billy yeah conan kind of makes note of that like where's your you know leader and he's like he's in the tent and he's like what do you mean and he's like that's how we roll here and conan's like huh, well my king you know in samaria would be out here leading the battle pal exactly <laughs> now this is his, his, i think his first glimpse of civilization now um how mm -hmm. it's done here you know the kings and civilized countries sit back because if you think about the hyperborean king tomar he's in the forefront of the battle yes yeah. he's right there leading the charge and they even screens for bori bori the war god that they were uh, worship mm -hmm. who could technically also be the grim gray god it's hinted yeah. that they could be one and the same. Mm -hmm. So, so Billy, then Conan agrees to fight for the Brythunians. After all, Dunlang helped him. And like you say, they're against the people who enslaved him and against the blonde savage who whipped him. So this is his <laughs> best chance to get his revenge. He agrees to mm. the battle, but only if he's allowed to, to just wield his chain. <laughs> <laughs> well, that page is great, too, oh. by the way, when they start the battle. At the very bottom there, it's 65 on the... Uh, 
epic collection, but uh, there's like one, two, three, four, six panels across the bottom of the page, and then in a caption box in red, it says, for this is the day the ravens drink blood. Oh, that's a great page. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. You're right. And then oh. you see all the players, you know, um, Kormlada, mm -hmm. and you see Dunlang, you see Conan, you see Tomar, and you even see the captain who's planning on betraying them, Malachi, right, standing on the hill with mm -hmm. the cavalry. And he's going to withhold yeah. that cavalry charge when they most need it. Oh, yeah. man, it's a great page. You're right, Billy. And then the very next page, another great panel mm. where Conan just wades through a horde of these <laughs> folks, felling guys mm -hmm. left and right with his chain. Mm -hmm. And then, and he, then meets, he sees that guy. <laughs> there you go. What happens, Billy? Wow. <laughs> this is a quick death. Uh, yeah, Conan's like, looks at him and he goes, You! I see no glint of recognition in your eyes. You have forgotten me, but I did not forget. And he just takes that chain and just smashes the guy's head with it. And that's it for that guy. Just one kabam and he's, he's done. dead. Well, that chain is damn heavy, Billy. I mean, this is not yeah. a little chain here, folks. This is a massive... These are like shackles. Yeah, these yeah, shackle, huge shackles. Manacles to keep an elephant, uh, you know, Yeah, like an animal, maybe. Yeah, and, and he uh, obviously wields it with his right hand because he asked one of the... Who was it? A Malachi, the captain, to use his axe to sever the link on on his left wrist, so that he can use the chain as a sort of like a uh, a mace, you know, a whip, yeah. or a morning star, or a whip. Yeah, a whip is better. Yeah, you're right. And then he whips these guys into well, into the <laughs> death, not into submission, into death <laughs> with this heavy chain. But you know, then he runs from the battlefield because Dunlang has bid him to to um, ask. Malachi to start the cavalry charge because now they're yeah. the most done uh, you know so Malachi refuses and Conan sees betrayal in his eyes he runs back to mm -hmm. the battlefield and wars warns Dun Lang and now that Dun Lang knows there's betrayal he, <laughs> he does something completely idiotic right Billy what does he do yeah the idiot's like oh I've been betrayed and then here are his exact words then the devil take this armor. I'll wear it no longer. Let us charge like men and die. Ah. Jeez. And then he does die as soon as he says the word die because he gets stabbed in the back uh, mm -hmm. by a Hyperborean. And then Conan just mangles the guy with a chain swipe. <laughs> yeah, he, the guy says, I killed the Brythunian's leader. Now they are doomed. And Conan, if they are coward, it will matter not to you. And he just probably kills the guy with a chain to the head yeah exactly Ooh. dude now look at the bottom <laughs> the, the last panel on that page that's king tomar you know he says you know blast that chain wielding fool <laughs> he'll cost me my <laughs> kingdom my life because conan's taking out half of the army here or half of the the, the, yeah. the regiment and then look at his helmet dude this king tomar yeah he's a barbarian but damn he's got a jeweled helm Oh, there's like 20 yeah, or so like rubies. Gems, rubies on his yeah, helmet. Yeah, like these rubies all over it. Yeah, it looks really cool. Yeah, so he decides to make a break for it straight to the tent of the Barthunian king. So now it's king versus king, Tomar versus Brian. And mm -hmm. he runs for the tents. Um, and then, you know, we see lightning in the background there as Even picks up the mail that her lover, you know, Dunlang discarded and she mourns his death and Conan's the last man standing on the battlefield, you know, that uh, you know, <laughs> uh, to be expected, right, Billy? And then he grabs a sword and he chases Malachi, who's the traitor. Now, I don't know what happened mm -hmm. to the cavalry. The cavalry just ran away, right? It just <laughs> took know. off, yeah. Conan <laughs> is like approaching them. The entire cavalry just runs away. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, this time Conan doesn't just have the chain. He also has a sword, right? So he's approaching. Uh, and he's basically <laughs> he's, he's hunting this, this traitor Malachi through the woods. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he says him. to him. Yeah. And the, the Malachi says, speak, blast you barbarian. Speak. Don't just dog my trail like some stalking wolf. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what, he, what he's doing. So he turns ready to to engage Conan in a sword fight. But Conan just nonchalantly tosses away his blade. And with one swipe of that blood stained chain <laughs> he ends mm-hmm. Malachi's life and then Cormlada mourns that because she was planning on setting Ma- Malachi up as her new lover and puppet king right mm-hmm. and then we get the bit in the tent where Tomar shows up to kill Brian but it turns out King Brian you know even though he's a bit of a wastrel and a lazy fighter he's quite good at, at wrestling he's, yeah. <laughs> he's pretty tough yeah Damn, he's tough. He throws this guy into his treasure boxes. Boom! Into his treasure chests. <laughs> and they have this knockdown, drag out fight where there's even a broken spearhead involved. The, the, the sword breaks, the Grey God looms over them, and then twin stabbing, right, Billy? Yeah, they're both right in each other's face, and they both stab each other simultaneously, and one of them, aye, and the other one, ah! And Tomar, we we both, and then they collapse in behind, behind a sky filled with red, and they're dead. Mm, Conan comes that, upon them. Yeah, that next page is my favorite page for those four panels, four small panels in the middle of the page there with the purple. Mm, you know which ones mm, I'm talking the about? And then I, mm. oh my gosh, the dialogue by Roy Thomas. There's like four in a row, and you see a hand, and there's clouds, and then you see, like you said, those Valkyries before, and the dialogue says. The sun has sunk now in a dark ocean of scarlet. Great clouds roll and tumble, and a wind blows out of them. And born on that wind, etched shadowy against the clouds, ride shapes which the young barbarian has seen before. And that's when you see those Valkyries coming for the, the dead people. <laughs> that's right, right. I love it. Mm. The, the grim gray god stands over this battlefield, giant-sized, and then he beckons to the clouds, and he, like, twirls his... Uh, uh, index finger around a cloud and then calls forth the lightning and the Valkyries and then the rain. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. Right, Billy? Yes. Mm. And that, like you said, Roy Thomas's dialogue is fantastic here, but yeah. you know, so uh, this is, this fulfills the prophecy that the grim gray God muttered when he met Conan uh, at the start of the issue. He said that Conan will mm-hmm. bear witness to the death of Kings. And of course that is uh, a, dual prophecy right Billy not just because two kings perish but because later Conan will witness later in his life the death of of a king King Numidides who he will slay to become the king of Aquilonia one day Mm -hmm. you know so yeah Conan will be present at the death of many kings and then that's the last we will ever see of the grim grey god and his Valkyries because now all of his followers have perished Bori the war god the grim grey god passes Mm-hmm. And he walks into the the mist or the clouds, and Conan was still with his hand wrapped around that ever loving chain of his. <laughs> He's, yeah. he, he mutters the words of the prophecy that he heard in the beginning, which is, "Soon you shall witness the passing of kings, I and of more than kings," meaning the god. Mm-hmm. So, wow, what an issue! I I dug the hell out of this, Billy. What did you think about this? Oh, it's great. Love it. Yeah, this is. There's a reason this uh, run, you know, and this title was highly lauded and lasted for, my gosh, how many years did 
this colony well, has lasted well into the 90s so i'd 20 say years? 20 yeah. more than 20 years yeah it lasted yeah for, yeah yeah about like 24 23 years yeah wow mm -hmm. so you're right man it lasted for quite a quite a long time of course roy you know did not write all of it he you know uh wrote 114 issues i think it was and then he left you know but um yeah, the character stayed a staple of the Marvel Universe for quite some time. It was one of the few Bronze Age titles that started in the Bronze Age, I should say, that lasted that long, I think. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, um, no, great issue, Billy. Fantastic. Now we're getting to the part where we're going to mention the, the quick uh, prelude story to the, mm -hmm. the Conqueror number three that we're going to be talking about. As you might remember... Mm -hmm. Uh, Hyborian fans or Volusion or Pre-Catechismic Age fans, right? Uh, yeah. The last issue we discussed was Cole uh, dealing with the Snake Men uh, who had infiltrated mm -hmm. his court in Volusia. And, yeah. uh, you know, during that there was a bit of an interval where he uh, got his Red Slayers together along with Brule and they went hunting for some more Snake Men by riding into the forests of, uh, <laughs> you know, surrounding Volusia. And this this issue or this story particularly is from Monsters on the Prowl number sixteen, and it's got a great cover. It has Cull on the front. A cover also done by John and Marie Severin, where Cull is stabbing this giant river serpent, mm -hmm. uh, serpent <laughs> god, as it turns out, in a swamp underneath the water. He's stabbing him in its eye, and Brule swimming alongside, dressed in his leopard skin <laughs> with a spear. <laughs> his face is like looking up at him, like. Hey, how's it going? Like, not like he's uh, exactly. one bit bothered by this. Yeah, at all. <laughs> he's just like, oh, this is just called doing what he's doing. I'm just gonna, you know, catch up on my swimming, <laughs> cool down a little bit. Mm, now, now that snake man up in the oh, corner that's, there. Oh, that's what I was gonna mention, buddy. The corner box yeah. is one of the most unique corner boxes ever done, and it's courtesy of John and Marie Severin. A snake man wielding a knife. And mm -hmm. in, insane amount of detail in that corner box. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved the Monsters on the Prowl, you know, uh, lettering uh, for the title and the covers. You know, it's like it looks as if it's scaly or, or as if it's filled with spikes or if, if it's even shivering. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> Monsters on the Prowl and then the Serpent God of Lost Swamp. So, you know, this story starts with Cole just plowing through the jungle. Uh, along with his spear slayers, just hunting down serpent men. And then they get to the serpent temple, which is across this river. Uh, and there's a volcano in the background, and they're ready to spill some reptilian blood. The rep <laughs> reptile priests come out, though, and they call up this river god of theirs, which is this giant sea serpent, but it's in the river. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. river serpent, he kills most of the, the red slayers, but Cole and Brule survive and save some of the red slayers, pulls them to the banks, but then the priests attack with this this liquid, which is <laughs> deadly. It looks like blood, right? Like snake blood. But it has it acidic qualities. <laughs> so he, they kill, but, you know, kill a lot of the spear slayers with this, by splashing them with these sensors filled with this snake liquid. But then Cole, you know, mm -hmm. pulls forth his tiger power, tiger totem manifests, and he you know, uh, kills all of them. He just m mutilates and maims and, and eviscerates these snake men. But the liquid splashes on him. He doesn't die. And why is that, Billy? Oh, it's hilarious. The priest, well, he comes flying in. Oh, devils, you'll deal with Cull. 
And <laughs> the priests go, it passes belief, my brethren. The fire venom has no effect on this madman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he's just coming at them with his sword out like that. He is going to kill them. But like you said, the Atlantean tiger totem is uh, what the protects his call, rage. basically. Yeah. And yeah. also another reason why it doesn't affect him. He has one of the eyes of the serpent in his belt pouch. And that is protecting him. Now, when it, it's prophesied or it's it's stated in ancient texts that he who wields both eyes of the serpent become becomes like unto a god. But if you wield merely one of the jewels, you already have invulnerability, well, at least towards against magical attacks. So this is a magic type right. venom, snake venom they're using on Cole. It has no effect mm -hmm. on him. Yeah, mm -hmm. but he's wielding the Eye of the Serpent, which was given to him by Kanu, right? And yeah. um, in the previous issue at court. So now they're entering the temple, and now it's only Colin Brule left, right? Because the rest of the Red Slayers are either, you know, dead at the bottom of the river or burnt, <laughs> uh, you know, by this acidic venom or recovering on the banks. So yeah. the toughest of the tough, right? But he have survived. They enter this temple. There are snake traps. But they, they get into this room filled with, with sinister green mist, and rather than finding more snake folk, they find this white-haired, uh, older type of uh, gentleman standing uh, above a body on an altar. And mm -hmm. uh, he introduces himself. Who is he, Billy? Well, first of all, he needs to put pants on. But okay, <laughs> yes. then after that, <laughs> he says, I am... False doom. <laughs> yeah. What is he trying to be a sidekick of the Batman with those short yeah. pants? No. False doom. This is him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's him. All right, and he's a, uh, you know, he has a little bit of misdirection here that we're going to find out about when we talk about in Call Three. You know, from what he says here, and then what's uh, reality. Yeah, he says basically he's from Gwandar. He's hunting the Snake Man who kidnapped his betrothed, and uh, he finally tracked them to this temple. And then, um, you know, he found his wife dead, sacrificed on this altar to their snake god. Then Cole just goes ballistic. He knocks over this um, uh, brazier uh, filled with uh, <laughs> liquid, right? Liquid oil. Yeah. This brazier is, yeah. um, I almost called it brazier again. <laughs> well, say close. Hold on now. Don't, don't, don't do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, yeah, oh, man, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, and then... The whole place explodes in this fiery conflagration, right, Billy? But um, first, the, the, it seemed like some of the Red Slayers were tough enough to, to eventually enter the temple in pursuit of their king. But, you know, they, they exit and there's this massive um, uh, fire and this place burns to the ground. And then Brule, he doesn't like this Tulsa Doom character much, right? He suspects foul play or at mm -hmm. least some sinisters going on. And even one of the Red Slayers who's wounded unto death, he shows up and he says, My Lord, Majesty, we're ready to serve you. And then he lays eyes on Thulsa Doom. And then he says, What? But beware, my Lord. And then he dies. <laughs> so mm -hmm. was it the wound that killed him? Possibly. But it could also be, you know, Thulsa Doom. Uh, we will find yeah. out later. This guy is a sorcerer of note. Oh, yeah. Big time. But, you know, that doesn't stop Cole from inviting him back for a feast with them to, you know, <laughs> uh, the uh, Tvalusian kingdom. And uh, mm -hmm. then we see, this is a great panel, right, Billy? Can you mm. tell us about that final panel where they, they, they head off to Tvalusia and they see this, this image in the sky? 
Yeah, you see like the kingdom in the background, and there's it's like a really cloudy sky, but then in the very corner, the clouds almost look like a skull face with some lightning behind it. It's really cool. And then next, a viper in our midst. Wow. <laughs> wow. And that skull face is very... Is, the foreshadowing is spot on because we'll soon learn why it's a it's a skull mm-hmm. face in particular. So, but yeah. a great, fantastic call issue yet again. But, you know, that was just a prelude to what we're really going to be talking about today, which is Call the Conqueror number three. So, I'm going to give a little bit of specs and then we're going to hit, you know, uh, go with the synopses. Uh, mm-hmm. Call the Conqueror three, covered by John Severin. It was cover dated July 1972, but on sale in April of 1972 and edited by Stan Lee, 32 pages. And the title of this tale is The Death Dance of Thulsa Doom, written by Roy Thomas, uh, penciled and colored by Marie Severin, inked by her husband, John, and lettered by John Constanza. And way back when this was uh, reprinted in Savage Sword of Conan Special Number 1 in 1975, but of course you can find <laughs> it as, as part of the Chronicles of Cull um, trade paperbacks uh from dark horse so if you want to find this mm-hmm. you either have to look for it on the dark horse app uh or you can you know try to track down the original issue or you can try to see if you can find uh, the chronicles of cull volume one from dark horse the trade paperback yeah i mean you you can find the singles they, they can get a little pricey though i mean because i just recently finished uh my run yeah. here getting the entire series for call and a couple of them, you know, even in just like, you know, mediocre shape or, or a little pricey. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're available, like you say, but they're expensive because they're so rare. I, I, well, because they haven't been reprinted. It's not, you know, people want to read them, uh, but they're not readily available in reprints. So they want the originals. There's going to be a demand for it. So they're upping the prices. But Billy, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that was a, a great feat of yours to fill up your cull run. I haven't even done mm. that. I've got a few sporadic issues. Uh, mm-hmm. and then, but I've got the, the entire series collected in five trades by Dark Horse, the Chronicles mm. of Cull. Um, mm, cool. But, you know, sometimes the coloring is not at, like the originals. You know, that's the only yeah. problem I have with the Dark Horse reprints. They sometimes took some leeway or uh, took some, you know, liberties, I should say, with the, mm-hmm. with the coloring. And uh, that, that disturbs me. Yeah, I have three or four volumes of the Conan ones they did around the same time, and that's my only beef. Otherwise, they look fine. The, the covers to them, you know, trade dress, all that stuff looks great. I, I, I'm glad they did it because there was nobody reprinting that stuff back then. But, yeah, the coloring is uh, not the greatest. Yeah, great paper stock, though. But, yeah, the coloring is mm-hmm. a major beef. But, you know, sometimes the coloring doesn't bother me. If it's like, you know, the EC reprints of the EC horror comics, you know, of late... You know, people have been up in arms about the coloring. I don't think, I mean, I don't think the coloring is that bad. I think it's actually enhancing the stories uh, because hmm. the colorist is really, you know, talented. It's digital coloring, but, you you, you know, they make okay. it, they try to make it look like the old EC comics, which is why it's so great. And then, you know, you get a big controversy of late where you have the Swamp Thing uh, Absolute Editions coming out by Alan Moore, you know, the Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. There's two out at the moment. They've completely changed the coloring on all of that. Now, oh. the reason that that is more controversial, but the reason I don't mind that is when you do look at the coloring, it is artistically 
amazing it's beautiful this this recolored versions they've done but it's not the original recoloring so i still prefer the originals but you know i would then say buy both if you know what i mean billy because mm -hmm. now you have this new fantastically artistically rendered uh recolored versions of, of of swamp thing which which gives a whole new dimension to the art and the story and then you've got the originals in the trade paperbacks or so or in the original issues so you can enjoy both but with the conan yeah. stuff you can't always enjoy both you know what i mean i don't i haven't looked at the marvel reprints yet i mean how's the coloring in the epic collection or the conan collection you have i think it's fine you know okay, it doesn't good. It's it's not you know uh, anything that stands out and you think oh that's too much I mean you know me I will take newsprints uh, any day of the week but you know Conan especially like that's why I got the Epic Collection I think I got the first two because uh, yeah it's just I'll probably get the third one too but then after that I start to have a lot of the single issues but man excellent, excellent. they are very very expensive the the low number issues uh, anything Barry Windsor Smith. Conan is very expensive to try to get in single issues, and I was just like driving myself nuts trying to find a copy I could afford of some of the lower numbers. And I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to get the epic collections, and I'm glad I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know, I um when in the '80s when I finally started collecting Conan, I mean, I I bought a lot of Conan issues sporadically off of the racks, but you know, from from let's say the pre 100s, uh, which was still Roy Thomas and and a lot of John Buscema. But then Ooh, yeah. when, when Conan finally became available regularly, and I don't know exactly where I bought it regularly, but I remember I got it like once a month on the regular, as well as the magazine and King Conan, uh, was around 1984, you know, Billy. So that, that would put the Conan, Conan comics in, what, the the 130s or the 100 and... No, 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 yeah. much more, 160s, I think, at least. Yeah, probably, yeah. So I started collecting, I think it was... Um, from then on, I started buying most of the Conans, but I can't remember what was my first Conan comic, you know, that I started collecting on the regular because I had so many others sporadically. But I remember, let's say, for instance, from 172 or something like that onwards, I bought it, it until the very end in, in 1993. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I... Um, for some reason, I wanted everything in paper, trade paperback when Dark Horse put out the Chronicles of Conan, which is 34 volumes wow and then you know i bought at least half of them uh you know as they came out but then um uh, i uh, you know for financial reasons i stopped buying them and then on ebay i got incredibly lucky a guy because i had bought the first i think um 18 right and then i mm -hmm. stopped buying it and then they they started getting out of print and then on ebay a guy was selling 20 to 34 you know for like a very cheap price. I mean, I mean, still expensive. You know, it was like, like some uh, six thousand NT or something, which which is a lot. I don't know how much that is in in in, in US dollars. Probably like two hundred bucks or two hundred and thirty bucks. But you know, it was <laughs> basically eighteen volumes or or what uh, fifteen volumes? Sorry, I should say of of Conan, and it was all yeah. near mint. So wow. I, I I leapt at that chance. And the shipping fee was was a little bit pricey, but I just uh, you know bankrupted myself that month a little bit to get <laughs> get those volumes, and then you know I just needed to buy nineteen, and uh, I eventually got nineteen you know just in the wild, and then that's how I filled up my Conan my Dark Horse Conan trade paperback you know run and, and all the Conan comics of the regular series, but you know I didn't need to buy those others 
but I wanted them. Mm -hmm. But the coloring, like mm -hmm. you say, is a little bit, it, it's, it's a bit uh, disturbing. So that's a little yeah. bit of a story there of how I finally, you know, uh, completed my Conan. Uh, so I don't have all the single issues, definitely not, especially not of the Roy Thomas run. And I'm probably mm -hmm. never going to even try to get all because it's just a very pricey undertaking, right, Billy? Mm -hmm. And then I'll just to let everybody know, uh, when you did that, a little peek behind the curtain here, uh, Herman uh, lived that entire month in the dark because his power was shut off and he ate bologna sandwiches because that's all he could afford. <laughs> hey, man, you're not, you're not far, far off there. Yeah, it was tough. <laughs> sometimes, hey, you got the comics, though. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I would get lucky and my wife would, would subsidize me. <laughs> you and I are both lucky there. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. <laughs> but not these days, Billy. No, no, these days it's more like putting her foot down and saying listen <laughs> we've got a yeah. third mouth to feed but you know so just a little bit of a story there you know there's many more mm -hmm. stories like that where i like had to, to suffer for our hobby right but but suffering mm -hmm. in in a in a in a pleasurable way <laughs> it's so very rewarding <laughs> only for us though yeah but billy this particular call issue though is one i don't have you have it you filled up the run i just have it in this in this dark horse trades so, mm -hmm. you know, I first read it, though, um, along with the Conan one, uh, issue three, I think I read it way back when I picked up a, uh, a copy, I think, from a friend. And um, this was, you know, uh, chronologically for me, at least, I, I, I knew the story up in this point in time. And mm -hmm. I love this issue because Thulsa Doom is such a striking character. You know, he's such a distinctive villain. And um, mm -hmm. I think I read this after I, I saw the John Milius movie, you know, from okay. 1982. So I was like, maybe a year or so after, you know, I found this back issue from a friend. Um, nice. And then I was thinking, you know, Thulsa Doom, wait a minute, this is not what Thulsa Doom looks like in the comics. But I, I, I let that <laughs> slide because I love the movie so much. I was just like, oh, okay, so they completely changed the character. Mm -hmm. So, did you ever have that jarring experience where you knew Thulsa Doom in the comics, but then the movie completely went another direction? Well, I definitely saw the movie first, mm -hmm. and I love James Earl Jones, and I thought, you know, like you, you and I talked, actually, I think it might have been off mic before we started recording, where, you know, we saw movies like the two Conan movies and stuff like that, and, you know, uh, when we were younger, so it was just like... You didn't really get too worried about that kind of stuff, and you just still love them for what they are, even though, you know, you watch them now, and some things are kind of goofy, but I loved uh, James Earl Jones and turning into that giant snake. That is just awesome. Oh, I love that. a fantastic scene, man. <laughs> During the, the weird, eerie, almost Lovecraftian music, right? And then that, mm -hmm. that, that orgy they were having, and Conan and them <laughs> infiltrating assassin style. Oh, I yeah. love that part. But, you know, we got to talk about that on Radio Free Arboria. We've got to discuss the movie sometime, right, Billy? Mm-hmm, we but should. If, but if anybody's looking for a really great, you know, Conan the Barbarian movie discussion, look no further than the guys over at Ra uh, Radio versus the Martians. You know, they, they were doing the... Uh, the uh, Conan the Bar, or oh, sorry, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie podcast, as in, but it's part of the Radio versus, versus the Martians feed, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, podcast a la vista. <laughs> <laughs> Man, they had a fantastic Conan episode. Is that so, Mike? Uh, uh, yeah, sorry, Casey Mike Doran, Gillis, yeah, yeah. Casey Doran, and Mike Gillis, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so, yeah. So listen to uh, Mike Gillis and Casey Dorn talk some Conan over there. Mm-hmm. All right, so then, um, Billy, on to this issue. Thulsa Doom makes oh, yeah. an appearance. Now, before we get into uh, our synopses, I'm just quickly going to give a little bit of a rundown on the character of Thulsa Doom because, after all, he shows up. You don't get to know much about his origin. Mm-hmm. So, um, basically, Thulsa Doom, he first appeared in this issue we just covered, right, Billy, which is this Monsters on the mm-hmm. Plot, number 16, from April 1972. And um, he was created by Robert E. Howard for the story Dalcardis's Cat, uh, King Call story, like I mentioned earlier. And he he claimed to have, you know, experienced death um, before the continent of Atlantis first rose from the ocean. So he's an ancient being, thousands of years old at this point uh, that they first meet him. And he's even in the Doctor Strange book, the book of the Vishanti, right, Billy? which mm-hmm. um, lists him as one of the pre-human race sorcerers, dating back to the Elder Gods that we also recently covered in that Thor annual number 10. The Elder Gods like Cthon and Gaia. Um, and uh, he's one of the, 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 the pre-human Elder God race. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, of course, later on he would show up again. He would, you, you know, he's one of those villains that you can never be sure that he's dead he's kind of like a michael myers that way right like he he perishes in one (laughs) issue but then somehow he returns from the dead and um yeah he's so powerful a sorcerer that he i mean the only reason cole survives this entire tale is because he wields the eye of the serpent which protects him against sorcery but you know thulsa doom had him at his mercy he could have killed him anytime he wanted to right believe if it wasn't for that eye Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. but his main primary primary power is shape-shifting he likes to to infiltrate, to shapeshift, to, to um, you know, uh, work behind the scenes and then finally come to the forefront and rule. So his ultimate goal is to rule. And we, in a later call story, we would see him actually gaining the throne of Illusia uh, through, through shapeshifting and trickery. But um, basically, he's also a warrior of note because in a sword fight, he could hold his own against Cole and Conan later on too when he eventually met up with Conan in the future in Cole's future I mm-hmm. should say so he, he's a warrior he's a sorcerer he's an undead being with a skull face that's all re- you really need to know about him from the pre-Atlantean age he's part of the elder god race but he's not a god yeah. you know he's just no. part of the, what they say the elder race so let's say a lesser demon you know below Cthon but you know uh, extremely powerful in his own right oh yeah so that's a bit of a, a history of Thulsa Doom, and then Billy, we can get into our synopses. What do you have for this issue? Okay, so a sparring match between Cull and Brule leads off, but the day turns ugly as Cull is betrayed and then must face Thulsa Doom. Aha! Classic, classic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mine goes as follows. Cull meets his nemesis Thulsa Doom at court and struggles to come to grips with the power of the servant, serpent's eye jewel. Pissing off his paramour Shiva, he invites betrayal, and this culminates in a shape-changing <laughs> theft and illusory trickery on the part of Doom before his hubris gets the best of him. And uh, I should say, I should amend that synopsis, because um, I should say he didn't meet Thulsa Doom at court. He met up with him at court, because after all, they met in the Temple of the Serpent, in Monsters mm-hmm. on the Prowl, and he invited him to court. So, Billy, now, mm. this is my favorite issue again. I love the Conan issue. Great art by Barry Windsor Smith. Excellent inking by mm-hmm. Sal. 
Fantastic writing by Roy. But again, this is three for three here, right? The cull issues mm -hmm. so far have been our favorites because John and Marie Sarah oh, yeah. just kills it on art. Yeah. And Roy Thomas's writing is just as great as it is on Conan. So I got to give it to this cull issue. What about you? Oh my gosh, yeah, start with the cover. I mean, that cover is absolutely insane. I mean, <laughs> it's like, it somehow makes sense though, and I like it, but it's crazy. You have, you know, Cole there, and he's uh, got a chain around his neck, and Falsa Doom is in the background, and in the foreground are all these demons and creatures, like a dragon, and they're all attacking Cole, and then there's a, a scantily clad lady, of course, uh, on the ground there, like all <laughs> passed out. That he's trying to fight for, but you know it doesn't really happen this way in the book. But for a cover, this is great. Like you're 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 a kid, you're gonna see this and be like, yeah, I want that comic. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Now the my only gripe with that comic is I'm not really feeling with the cover. I'm not really feeling the corner box of Cole just standing there, just uh, railing at the sky with his arms. Um, it it's a nice image, but the detail is not there. If you compare yeah, it to generic. The, yeah, generic. The snake image, though, from Monsters on the Prowl as the corner box, that so far eclipses this corner mm. box that I'm almost wishing they kept that. Or they could have yeah. inserted Tulsa Doom, you know, temporarily. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there's yeah. Tulsa Doom in the background on the cover doing his Bella Lugosi bit, right? Right. He's got his cape <laughs> up, <laughs> he's spreading out his cape. And uh, he's got some symbols on his uh, black uh, shirt, which he does not sport. You know, in the interiors itself, you know, it's like a diamond, it's a, a moon uh, shaped like a bowl, a triangle, a circle, and a rectangle. I don't know what that's supposed to symbolize, <laughs> right? But he just, it looks like a kindergarten kid's wall chart of learning shapes. <laughs> but, you know, he that, wears it well. Yeah, he wears it really well. That's my only gripe. Like, Cole is fantastic. He's got his prominent <laughs> scar across his right eye displayed there. He's taking mm -hmm. a cue from Conan. In, in the issue we just discussed, wielding this chain to devastating effect, bashing these demons. And then, of course, Shiva, his, his uh, harem girl, lying there at his uh -huh. feet, the demon horse of Thulsa Doom. Fantastic cover. Mm. And Marie Severin had something to do with the Conan cover we just discussed, but that one, just uh, mostly Barry Smith's pencils, you know, so... Also a good cover, you know, with the gray god looming in the background with Conan in the foreground. But there the cover is deceiving, right, Billy? It's sort of like saying that mm -hmm. Conan is going to fight the grim gray god. In fact, it does say Conan versus the grim gray god. So one yeah. of those deceiving Bronze Age or, you know, even covers from the Silver Age were very deceiving that way. So mm -hmm. this is my favorite cover, my favorite issue, and yours too, right? Mm. Oh my gosh, yeah, that opening splash page too. Like, there's two panels, but the top Oof. one is really cool. And then you get the Colin Brule, you know, having a little uh, sparring match here, which I love that too. Yeah. That looks really great, like in the courtroom or something like that. Yeah. Everybody's having dinner and watching them. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, they're fighting with, with um, weighted, uh, you know, bow sticks. Or if you can call them that, mm, right? Yeah, much, yeah. Having a bit of a, a battle there, just for the entertainment of the masses. But you know, for the Volusian elite, this is two savages brawling and 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 doing their barbarian, you know, antics. <laughs> this is not, this is not impressive for them. You know, they're they're looking down upon this. And Cole mm -hmm. and Rule are just doing this for to have a bit of fun, you know. And Cole mm -hmm. wins, of course, predictably. He, he batters Brule to the ground. And then he insults and, 
Well, he insults Brule's race, but then he also compliments Brule as an individual. Listen to this, Billy. You know what I'm talking about, right? He says, well contested, good friend. This is now as, as Brule is still sprawling on the ground. Well contested, good friend. We Atlanteans have it all over you pigs in height and weight. But I'd sooner face a regiment of soft, sinewed volusions than one of your hard-honed race. <laughs> you know, so he in, he's insulting the Volusians in earshot too, <laughs> but he's also mm-hmm. insulting Brule. But then he's sort of, you know, making it okay by saying, "But you, Brule, you are much different <laughs> than the rest of your race of of little mm-hmm. short, weak picks." So typical call, right? And Brule, oh, yeah. he takes it in stride. It's just some some you know back and forth between them. Some you know some trash talking and then uh, of course Cole uh, rejoins the feast and he completely ignores Lady Shiva who's trying to mm-hmm. curry his favor there by I mean Cole does this a lot right but he 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 goes off on these daydreams or these reminiscences mm-hmm. of when he was a wild youth raised by tigers or a gladiator <laughs> and then you know he just pisses off the civilized folks around him because they're trying to mm-hmm. to to get his attention Mm-hmm. And of course, then we see the flashback of him fighting the serpent men and getting the eye of the serpent from Kanu. Oh yeah. Um, and th- and then he saw the the eyes of the serpent in that temple from the monsters on the prowl issue, uh, both missing the serpent gem. So he's wondering where is the third gem? You know, it's gone. And uh, then you know things start happening, right, Billy? What? Someone makes a toast. What happens? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah so he uh our, our buddy Thalsa Doom makes a toast and uh he says about uh given he says lords and ladies great call let me give both toast and prophecy though born in a clime as far off as my own call has been a good sovereign to this his adopted people now look ye volusions at the moon itself grows dark just as your land was transgressed of late by the serpent priests but now Cole walks among you. Call the king. Call the conqueror. Yay! And shows a really, really cool shot of the kingdom from the outside, which looks really neat. Yeah, he's also using his knowledge of, let's say, you know, astronomy, to mm-hmm. to dazzle the populace of uh, Volusia because he knows there's going to be an eclipse. So he he says, uh, "Look upon the sky," and he's making it seem out that he's causing the eclipse with his magic, right? And uh, mm-hmm. some of the more you know, ignorant Volusians believe that, but Cull is skeptical and Brule as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, as barbarians, they're supposed to be the superstitious ones, but they know this is just an eclipse. <laughs> he says, mm-hmm. yeah, it shows something too, he says to his counselor, but is it a man who moves the stars or does he possess some secret knowledge merely? <laughs> we know it's the latter, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this is crazy, right? This, um, one of the Picts, <laughs> Uh, Brule's, you know, tribes, tribes, tribes folk, a lady. She brings in a tiger mm-hmm. as a present for Cole because, after all, the tiger is his totem. Now, this tig- tiger is supposed to be tame, but he's far from tame, right, Billy? What happens? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like, you know, just a, she's a very dressed nicely, like she's someone important. And but she's just like, you know, like a little lady and she has this giant tiger on a chain. And <laughs> all of a sudden, it kind of like is walking by Thulsa Doom, and then all of a sudden it turns and looks at him, 
and it goes and a guy the beast goes mad and the girl no great one and it jumps on Thulsa Doom and is going to kill him (laughs) (laughs) and then Cole saves his hide by stabbing the tiger in the neck now that must have hurt right Billy because he loves tigers yeah, we, we know how much he does, but this uh, in his mind, he he had invited Thulsa Doom. Thulsa Doom was his guest, and this tiger was about to, to to maim his guest. So he stepped in and saved his life. Well, yeah, Cole's uh, dialogue is the jungle cat attacks Thulsa Doom. One sweep of a tiger's claws can fell an ox or disembowel a water buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he's like Cole is like the Steve Irwin of the of the pre-cataclysmic <laughs> age, right, Billy? Except more yeah. violent and not not prone to conservation. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> but he, he's got the knowledge. He's got the knowledge mm-hmm. behind him. So mm-hmm. you know this is great. Now again, we've got this minstrel, one of the the plotters against Cole, one of the conspirators mm-hmm. who want to overthrow Cole. He's showing up. He says, "How about a lay, my lord? You know, how about a ballad, a newly, you know, uh, written ballad of mine?" And Cole just he he he's reluctant to kill the minstrel or have him arrested because he says that poets are more important than kings, right? So uh, mm-hmm. Redondo again plays this seditionist <laughs> ballad of his. Everybody gapes at at the words of this ballad, right? Because basically it goes like, I think this is from a Robert E. Howard poem, Billy. This could be from a Robert Mm. E. Howard poem taken. It was, when I was a fighting man, the kettle drums, they beat the people scattered gold dust before my horse's feet. But now I am a great king. The people hound my track with poison in my wine cup and daggers at my back. (laughs) Yeah, the one guy at the table there is like, what? Fantastic. Now, you know, this minstrel Redondo is reminiscent of a character, uh, also, I think, called Redondo, who showed up in the Phoenix on the Sword, the very first Conan tale, right, Billy? Mm -hmm. He was one of the characters who plotted against Conan, and he showed up in the throne room to assassinate King Conan at the end. And uh, this is directly based off of that character here. And, uh, wow, yeah. that, Cole just smiles and says, wow, fantastic, Redondo. What a, what a hit. What a, what a song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to retire to my mm-hmm. chambers now, but enjoy the feast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, man, this is, this is cool. And then... Yeah, you know, that's awesome. <laughs> look at the face of Two, the, the advisor, right, the counselor. He's like, my lord, you should have had him strangled for, for singing <laughs> that. <laughs> you should throttle that tunesmith. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, the, the, the Pictish girl, Tulia, she, you know, counsels that, you know, or she looks like she's going to console Cole. I don't know. But again, Cole completely ignores her as he does all women. Cole mm-hmm. is, I'm not saying he's sexist, but women don't exist for him. They're not part of his no. universe unless they're changing into to giant harpies and trying to steal his jewel, <laughs> which we'll see later, right? Because what does Tulsa Doom do when he spies Shiva, Billy? Yeah, he realizes, you know, he can uh, kind of get her under his sway here. So he uh, shows her his jewel, you know, like the, uh, the one that <laughs> not uh, his jewels. Conan has. No, 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 not those. No, no, no. <laughs> his eye. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. And then uh, he kind of starts to uh, get her a little hypnotized here. Yeah, so it seems that he, he wields the second missing jewel. Now, Billy, it mm-hmm. could be that that was why he was at the Temple of the Serpent. He pried the mm-hmm. jewel loose from the eye, the missing the missing jewel already belonging to Cull, gifted to him by Kanu. 
then that's where he got the or or it could be that he always had this the second jewel and that he ventured to the serpent temple to to obtain the the, the missing one right which which call mm-hmm. but now he knows call has the jewel so he's gonna plot to to wrest it from him and um, then you know uh, we see a hint of what he really looks like in the candle flame as he's mm-hmm. uh, hypnotizing or not really hypnotizing he's basically playing on the ambitions of this uh, harem girl Shiva yeah um, and then we see this great image of his uh, face becoming a half skull mm-hmm. the white skull that he usually has as a face so uh, old Shiva hits straight on in you know with the plan and she seduces one of the red slayers who's all for it right he's like yeah I'm having a, a, a tryst here <laughs> with the king's lady <laughs> mm-hmm. but she stabs oh, him yeah. in the back right mm-hmm. oh um, yeah and then she uh, waits in the chamber for Cole to go to sleep but she doesn't she's too impatient right she as Cole sets down the serpent jewel and gets ready to, to go to bed she grabs the jewel and she transforms and mm-hmm. Cole's ready to skewer her with his sword, right? Even before she's fully transformed. <laughs> yeah. Now, it seems that Thulsa Doom has gifted her with some magical powers here, right, Billy? Or it could be the jewel itself. Mm-hmm. But she yeah. changes into this giant red bird. It could be a vulture, it could be a hawk, an eagle, but it's gigantic. I mean, it's strong enough to to hoist Cole aloft with it after he grabs onto its leg. Yeah, uh, but he stabs the bird. He he does, in fact, impale it on the sword. But it just passes through the bird as if nothing had happened. Mm-hmm. But, but then, believe the worst happens for old Shiva. What happens there with the jewel? Well, yeah, she's got you know Conan's hanging onto her leg. Oh, well, Cole, sorry, Cole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the jewel falls out of the bird's mouth, and Cole jumps down and grabs it, and then. Uh, she changes back from the bird into just Shiva. So, like you said, maybe it was the the power you know, of the, the jewel. Uh, yeah, the jewel really giving her that power, and then he falls down. And since he's big, tough, call well, he survives it. But she's Shiva, so she's dead. Well, again, like it's hinted at that the eye of the serpent saved his life. Like the invulnerability it bestows upon bestows i should say on the wielder because he grabs it in midair as it falls right billy so he has mm-hmm. it in hand when he when he makes uh, contact with the ground she completely splats into the courtyard and dies Oof. yeah and uh he witnesses her you know uh broken body and and picks her up and then he he realizes this has something to do with ilsa doom you know he has mm-hmm. suspected something's wrong and then he heads straight on to doom wherever he's quartered but he's not there he's in the library and now mm-hmm. the all concealment's gone he's sporting his full face and this is the first time we see the real Thulsa Doom and it's a fantastic panel him wielding this scroll mm. in the library but Conan's blade uh, sorry Cole's blade cannot touch him it just passes mm-hmm. harmlessly through him and then and it seems the same can be said for the blade of Thulsa Doom because both of them wield the serpent eye the eye of the uh, an, an eye of the serpent and both of them are immune to each other's attacks so Thulsa Doom just fades away, and then Cole, he starts gathering up these scrolls, but he's attacked by these little critters who transform into larger demons. This is now based off of the cover image, right, Billy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The demons sent by Thulsa Doom. They're, they're plaguing Cole, but, you know, he's surviving by, you know, the power of the serpent eye that, that's in his pouch. 
and then he says okay we've got to hunt him down i think he's headed into the forest and he uh, drafts one of his red slayers to follow him but right after the red slayer agrees he's immediately immolated by thulsa doom's magic <laughs> ah. yeah. oh this yeah, is he's toast Ooh, yeah he's literally he's toast he's barbecued yep Mm-hmm. Uh, Cole heads out of the city with the serpent eye. He's gonna his 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 plan is to take it to Kanu because Kanu is a wise man, a type of medicine man of the of the Picts, a shaman, and um, he needs to get this eye to Kanu. Kanu will know what to do, but he's assailed by these illusions, which is one of the yeah. primary powers of Thulsadum. He can cast these realistic illusions, and and they're really giving Cole uh, a tough time. I mean, this is great panel where he's riding over a bridge, and the illusions are leading him astray he topples off the bridge on his horse and then he's assaulted by these giant tentacles in the water he crawls from it and there's these demons all around him once even got a hand on his shoulder <laughs> but his horse managed to survive he heads off into the pictish camp and speaks to kanu and hands kanu the jewel and what happens billy yeah well when that happens we uh, realize it's not kanu it's uh thalsa doom kind of like I'll say shape-shifting, but again, casting another illusion. Yeah, that's right. So, so far, he's very powerful, but he's not as powerful as he will become now that he has both of the jewels, because now, rather than just casting illusions, he can actually manifest his thoughts into reality, because we see the chains, actual chains, forming around Cole, uh, you know, chaining mm-hmm. him, uh, manacling his his uh, wrists and his neck, and then Thulsadum dragging him by these chains, almost flying through the air, through through the starry <laughs> sky he's super powered now with both jewels in hand and dragging mm-hmm. him to the the uh courtyard of the castle in Volusia, uh or to this um you know central uh pl- a plaza right billy it's a plaza yeah. uh, he uh, also doing calls for all the royals and the the commoners of Volusia to gather and he says now you know witness the death of your king i'm your new king and uh, he even proves his power by by slaying a red slayer with another burst of immolating fire right after the guy <laughs> tried to put an arrow through his back. But it doesn't yeah. work. He's completely invulnerable now. Yeah. Chains Cull to the ground. Cull's trying to escape. But Brules, it turns out, is the the VIP of this issue, right, Billy? He, mm-hmm. he shows up with his mystical spear, which has been doctored by Kanu. And mm-hmm. the spear breaks the magic chain around Cole. And uh, then Cole doesn't have much to do with the fall of Thulsa Doom in this issue because, like I say, his hubris, much like Dr. Doom always, you know, suffers because of too much, you know, uh, hubris. The same happens to, to Thulsa Doom. Billy, what does he do? Mm-hmm. Well, he gets both of the uh, gems together and, like, kind of slams them together, almost like two halves of a, a hole. But together it's just too much power for him to even kind of control so the power just keeps going crazier and crazier and then just you know the next you know it's like almost like a, a crazy explosion happens and Cole goes flying through the air and up against the wall and then uh false doom just kind of like fades away it's disintegrated yeah and then this this giant gaping pit is left in the, the middle of the plaza and, uh, the ground there. Yeah. yeah. Before the both eyes of the serpent plummet down this pit, Cole reaches out and grabs one of them. So he has one eye of the serpent, but the other one has disappeared into this pit. So it seems that mm-hmm. the eyes were never meant to be joined. And you know, that would cause a, you know, a cascade of, of force that would just 
be devastating, right, Billy? They were always meant to be mm-hmm. separate in the in the statue of, of the serpent god. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, there's a feast being planned, you know, to honor Cole's victory. He gets the chains sawed off him by the court blacksmith or locksmith. Mm-hmm. And then during the feast, he's very moody. He's very melancholic, contemplative. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. Again, ignores everybody and heads off into his rooms. And then he can't sleep that night. He dreams of his, his life as a gladiator and then hits in the early morning to the pit. And uh, he has the jewel in hand, right, Billy? And mm-hmm. it turns out that with the jewel, he could have been invincible. He knew that now. But he opted for just being a man. And he mm-hmm. in- eventually tossed the jewel, the second jewel, into the pit as well. So yeah. now the eyes of the serpent are lost forever, at least to the, to the world of men. And Brule and the Red Slayers find Collier that morning asleep in front of the pit or next to the pit. And then Cole has this giant badass statue erected <laughs> above the pit. What does it look uh-huh. like? <laughs> it looks like a, a hand holding a chain with like a base, almost like a chess piece, like a yeah. pawn, but yeah. with a hand and, and then holding a chain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's a symbol for the people of Illusia of Cole's victory over Thulsa Doom, who tried to chain him. But for Cole, mm-hmm. it's a symbol of his victory over the chains of of being a god, of 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 having to have you might possibly be a conqueror god, uh, wielding the ser- eye of the serpent, and him having given up that power. That means mm-hmm. giving, giving up a chain of sorts, which is the power, uh, you know, the, the 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 prison that power forms around you, right, Billy. Mm-hmm. But you could still argue that Cole would always feel chained by his role as a king, because we'll see right throughout the run, he's always yearning to go back to the wilds and to mm-hmm. go back to his less civilized ways. So what a fantastic uh, issue, right? I this this is definitely hands down better than the Conan one. The Conan one was already terrific, but uh, you can't compare these two. Just just more well, story, is... more I don't know, believe that more panels, more impact. Yeah, that yeah is... it's definitely my favorite two out of the two. And then, of course, uh, at the very end here, after that last page, you get a uh, a map of uh, yes the, the Thurian continent. It's I love how it says, by special request, here is Mirthful Marie Severin's magnificent map of the known world in the day of call. Savor and save it, friend, because when the letters start coming in this space is definitely going to be filled stan and roy and it's got a really awesome map there it's pretty cool <laughs> oh that is a good map yeah i mean mm-hmm. barry winter smith smith drew a pretty fantastic hyborian age map but i'd say marie severin drew an even better thurian continent map so well done yeah. to marie and john i mean they're just amazing as a team separate individuals both fantastic artists oh yeah for sure from ec you know, Billy, from our mm-hmm. favorite golden age of horror. Right. You know, that's where they come from, so no wonder. But, mm-hmm. you know, Billy, that brings us to the end of another Radio Free Hyboria. We already teased the next issue of Conan, which is Zukala's daughter, but the next mm-hmm. issue of Cull is, is also great because it features uh, a bit of uh, a betrayal in the, uh, by the Red Slayers and assassination attempts mm-hmm. on Cole and a lady who melts into <laughs> into a pile <laughs> of bubbling goo so there's more <laughs> greatness to come next month when mm-hmm. uh, we have another episode of Radio Free Iboria but, but yeah. yeah I gotta thank you it was a lot of fun 
And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we always have a blast talking old Conan. And like I say, eventually we'll get to the movie and we'll include that as a bonus episode, um, mm -hmm. which will, will be completely extra. It won't be part of the regular Radio Free Iboria episodes. Mm -hmm. So thanks again to our patrons for, mm -hmm. you know, supporting us and subscribing and making these shows possible. Um, we hope you guys like it. Feel free to, to hit us up with any comments or suggestions you might have. And we'll mm -hmm. always take them to heart and implement the changes that you guys want. Uh, and as long as you guys keep listening and having fun, we'll keep uh, putting out these shows and, and enjoying, you know, talking uh, Conan and Cole and eventually Red Sonia and Solomon Kane and all mm -hmm. of the rest too. Mm -hmm. So with that, Billy, it's uh, bye from me. All right. Take care, everybody. forgot the secret of steel and left it on the battlefield. And we who found it are just men. Not gods. Not giants. Just men. And the secret of steel has always carried with it a mystery. You must learn its little Conan. You must learn its discipline. For no one no one in this world can you trust. Not men, not women, not beasts. This you can trust. <laughs>